Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning, North Main. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. I am a uh, member here, and me and my family have been attending here for about three years now. It's been a long, it's, it doesn't seem that long. It goes by really fast. Um, been through uh, the whole pandemic with all of you, and so we, uh, we are thankful for you as our family. We're thankful that we get to celebrate um, here every Sunday with all of you and to celebrate Christ. And so um, always a pleasure for me to be here with you and always a, a very exciting opportunity for me. So I'm excited for this morning. We're going to dive in starting a new um, series within our uh, series of patience. So it's persevering patience, and uh, we're going to be looking at a story that it might be unfamiliar to you. You may have heard it whenever you were younger. I know for me, if I'm just being 100% transparent, when uh, Pastor Brandon came and he said, hey, I'd like for you to preach this Sunday. I said, okay. And we were looking at the topic and then I was like, it's been a while since I've looked at this. And I said, it's going to take me a little bit. So i um, been studying on it, been looking at it for the past couple of weeks and just really diving back into it. And honestly, I think it's been since college before, I've, since I've really... Uh, dive into this passage. We're going to be looking at the story of Balaam and his donkey. And so you may have seen this whenever you were um, younger, maybe whenever you were um, in, in children's church or something, or maybe when you, were, uh, you experienced a story. They, it's one that they tell the kids a lot because it's about a talking donkey. Um, and so, uh, but as we get older, we tend to kind of push it away. It's, a, it's kind of like a lot of the um, more miraculous stories of the Bible. We have trouble reconciling them with our everyday life, right? I don't know about you, but um, the animals in my life don't talk to me. So, uh, I mean, they kind of do, I guess. You know, my dog tells me when it needs to go outside or when it's hungry, but um, if my dog had a conversation with me, I think I would be um, pretty thrown back by that. Uh, And so we see that Balaam reacts just the way that we would. But um, today we're going to dig into it. And I think actually when we break down this passage of scripture, I I shared with my wife uh, yesterday as we were driving, I said, the talking donkey part's actually like the least like important part. Like it's the least, at least whenever I read through it, it's the part that I kind of care about the least. Um, the more powerful aspect of this passage of Scripture is about God's interaction with his people and then also with the people who were not his people. And, uh, and I think just right now, is with what the world's going through, um, it's interesting to look at how God interacts with people that maybe we think aren't his people. Uh, I know many of you have probably been watching the news um, hot and heavy the past few weeks where we've seen um, peace be broken down in Europe after um, since World War II, right? So we've not seen something like this for many, many years, and we're seeing unprecedented violence that's, that's in a place that we would not expect it. And I hear a lot of talk in midst of all this of those people or enemies or evil people or things like that, and we're going to look at how in our human minds, oftentimes that's how we think. We look at others, we look at people outside of our own group, we look at people outside of our own country, outside of our own religion, and a lot of times we label them as other, we push them to the side, and we say they are evil. 
And today we're going to see how God interacts not only with his people, but with this other group and how he was trying to infiltrate into them, to be part of them, to show him that not only is he the God of the Israelites, he's the God of the Moabs. He's God of the Midianites. So we see this um, really cool story play out, and it just so happens to include a talking donkey. So um, if you would join me this morning, we're going to just dive right in. We are going to read through the whole passage this morning, because um, as as past few weeks we've seen, Pastor Brandon has been getting back into doing that, but also this is just an unfamiliar passage with a lot of us. And so I figured it would go well to um, read through the whole thing and kind of just go through the story to set up this story, uh, where it falls in the timeline of the history of God's people and in the Bible, is we see the nation of Israel escape from Egypt at the hands of God. So God delivers them out of Egypt, and they come into the promised land, and they are ripe and ready to take it. And so Moses sends in people to go and look and see this land, and they come back and say, hey, we can't do this. And so they are cursed, and they are sent out into the wilderness to wander for 40 years until the generation that did not believe that God could deliver them into the promised land has passed away, and a new generation has risen up. And this is the exact moment that we see here today where Balaam's story starts. They have risen back up. This new generation is here. Moses has appointed new leaders. Some of the old, all the old leaders have died away. So we see even Aaron has died away, Moses' brother, and he has appointed a new head priest. And we see just a new wave of leadership coming in. And so they enter into the Holy Land. And they're obviously confronted with the people who already live there. And one by one, they come up to these neighboring tribes and they conquer them, little by little. They conquer the first two. And this is where Balaam's story comes in. So they've conquered two of these nations. And when we talk about nations, it is a little bit different than what we might think today. The Israelites were a vast number. They had multiplied and they had grown large in the desert in their 40 years of travel and in wilderness um, time. And so they are a large number, but they're coming in and these nations that we would consider are like small cities. Um, So essentially they're coming from city to city and God is handing those cities over to them. And where we find ourselves today is that they have conquered these two, have gone through into the nation that has been promised them by God, and they're sitting outside of, they're in this like large field, this large um, plain area, and they're sitting outside of two of the major cities, next two cities in their kind of line of conquering. And the cities are Moab and uh, Midian. And the, the setup here is that they have camped, they've not been aggressive. They have not sent people into these cities to um, conquer them yet. They have not sent any kind of like interaction into these cities. They've just conquered the other two, and now they're sitting there waiting. They're kind of waiting for what God wants them to do. And where we're, our story is today is from the other side. It's from Moab and the Midianites. They are sitting there looking out at this vast army. They've heard that they've already conquered two of these other cities, and they're like, these guys are on their way to conquer us. They're going to. And so that's where our story picks up here, and we are in Numbers 22, chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, The Moab king had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. So he's seen everything that's come before this. 
And then when the people of Moab saw how the Israelites, how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know the blessings fall on any people you bless and cursings fall on the people that you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, set out money to pay Balaam to, uh, to place a curse upon Israel. So we've, this is our first introduction to this man named Balaam. And uh, it's interesting, he is, this is not the only place that we see Balaam in the Bible. He's seen elsewhere in the, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And how he's described varies. It's interesting. Sometimes he's described as a prophet. They, they um, call him a prophet um, of the Old Testament. And then sometimes they call him a sorcerer. Sometimes they call him a diviner. Sometimes they call him wicked, sometimes they call him a follower of God, and so he's a very gray person. He's a person who dabbles in these things, and so he's an interesting one in that we can look and see how God is pursuing someone who is not following his ways, and yet we also should take heed of how Balaam kind of goes about his interactions with God. And so this story, uh, yesterday my wife and I were um, shopping and we were we went to a chocolate shop to try and taste some of these chocolates, and they had one that was like a hot and spicy, like pepper chocolate. And I, I like to try different things, and so I said, you know, give me a piece of that, I'll try that. And she's like, okay, well, it's got this nice sweet, and then it's kind of got a burn afterwards. And I think sometimes when we look at stories in the Bible, it's a little bit of that. It's got a sweetness and it's got a burn to it. We should be convicted sometimes, but also we should be felt, we should be comforted. Um, and we see this with Balaam. We should be convicted not to act like Balaam, um, but we should also be comforted that God is pursuing someone like Balaam because I see myself in Balaam a lot of times. Um, so Balaam, he was this guy who he could achieve what he said he could achieve. He could bless people. He could curse people. Now, we don't know entirely. We're not given the background of how he achieved these things. If you believe that there are forces outside of this uh, world that we can't see, forces of good and evil, then you can assume that he was tapping into these forces some way. And it looks like he's able to tap into evil forces to curse people. And uh, we see that he also has some sort of interaction with God. He's able to speak with God or hear from God. And why God allows this man to interact with him, I'm not sure, other than the fact that I think God is pursuing all of people constantly. I think he loves all people, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today, talking about the other. He loves these people. He sees people as people, and he's constantly going after them. And so he's constantly cares about Moab and Midian. And so he has people within those places where he's trying to give out grace, and we see that. So Balaam is called upon to curse the Israelites. And it's just, the whole story is somewhat ironic. You see, um, the, they have no idea the forces that they're dealing with. And it's, it's somewhat tragic because we see Balaam trying to tap into something that he doesn't understand. 
And he's refusing to humble himself, and so is Balak, the king, because they both think that they can control these forces. And that's one of the first things that we should look at as a conviction, is that we cannot look at God the way that Balaam and Balak look at God. So they continue here. So it says, Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, they sent out money to pay Balaam to place a curse on Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. And Balaam says, stay here overnight. In the morning, I'll tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So we see that Balaam's used to interacting with God through dreams. And so he says, hey, I'm going to go to sleep. I'll have a dream. In the morning, I'll tell you whether I can do this or not. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look at the vast horde of people who has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them out of the land. But God says to Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up, and he told Balak's officials, go home. The Lord will not go with me. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak with the report, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those who had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message. This is what Balak, son of Zephor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I'd be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord, my God. But stay here one more night, and I'll see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. This is one of the first interesting points where we see he has no idea of this relationship. God's given him a clear, very clear directive. He said, don't go with these people. What, I, what you're asking is not going to happen. And so he says, okay, like, go home. And he obeys him in the first. He says, this is what it's going to be like. But then this temptation of wealth and uh, being distinguished sends more princes and more rulers, and they come back and they have more money, and Balaam's like, oh, <laughs> uh, that looks really tempting. I know I told you that I can't do it, but uh, let me check. Let me check one more time. Everybody, you know, if you guys sit tight, let me check one more time with God. And we see this first um, breaking down of a relationship. At first, you read it and you think, oh, wow, this guy is a, is a foreign, you know, outside of the Israel uh, nation. He has a good relationship with God. But then we see, no, he looks at God as a genie. And that's how his interactions with God goes, is I can make this force do what I want to do. But yet, Balaam also knows that he can't actually do that. He's honest with the people. He says, I can't actually control this thing. But... Maybe we can try one more time. So he goes back to sleep, and he says, stay the night. We'll see what God says. That night, God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but, don't do, any, but do only what I tell you to do. Now, this, one, this, passage can, this part of the passage can be confusing to people. 
It looks like God kind of like waffles on his commands. It looks like he changes his mind. Um, but the easiest way for me to kind of demonstrate this and to, for me to like internalize it is interactions that I have with my kids. I don't know, if you have kids, you've probably been here before where like maybe your kid comes up to you and says, you know, I want to do something. The example I thought of in my life was my uh, daughter, Thea, she came to me and we had ice on our driveway and she's like, I want to step on the ice. And I was like, don't step on the ice, you're going to slip and fall. And she says, well, I want to step on the ice. And she said, no, don't step on the ice. You're going to slip and fall. So she starts edging towards the ice. <laughs> and I'm like, you are going to fall. And then she puts one foot on the ice, right? And then I was like, all right, listen, you want to walk on the ice? Go ahead. There's a pretty good chance you're going to fall. And don't come crying to me whenever it happens, right? How many times have we said that? This is what God is doing. He looks at Balaam and says, you really want to go there. It's going to be very bad for you. This is not going to go well for you. I would rather you don't go there. But if you must, just at least don't do anything I don't tell you to do. All right? If you got to go there, if you got to see what happens, if you're going to be like bullheaded, then go ahead. So this is not him waffling. This is just him allowing Balaam to be his own person. This is him allowing Balaam to make choices of his own free will. And so we see Balaam make a choice. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moab officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent an angel of the Lord to stand on the road to block his way. As Balaam and the two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off of the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and then turned back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and it crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it laid down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. And this is what it said. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. First off, like, I don't know if I just like respond to him. I'd be like, all right, no, that's the end of that donkey. <laughs> like, you can go free, man. Like, I don't know. But he responds, he says, you know, this. And this part is very interesting because we see the angel of the Lord try to present, uh, prevent Balaam three times. Going forward, we're going to see Balaam try to curse Israel three times. And it's God saying over and over again, listen, if you really have a relationship with me, if you're open to me, if, you're, if you want to do my will, you would realize that this is not where I want you to go. And we sometimes think, like, it's unfair. Like, this is an invisible angel. How is that going to stop Balaam? You know, the donkey can see it, but Balaam can't see it. This is my interpretation. This is my belief. I think if Balaam had been in correct standing with God, he would have been able to see the angel that was standing there. He was not. He, had, he was going completely against, even though God's allowing him to make the decisions, even though God's allowing him to walk along these paths, he is out of step with God. And in every way, he is trying to control God and use God, and yet he's completely lost. 
It's easy to look at Balaam and vilify him, and yet I look at him and I see someone that I have great pity on, someone who doesn't understand God, someone who is lost, and someone who can't even begin to understand the, the just joy and the, the relationship that it could give. He was looking for the power that could come from it. What could it do for him? Could it bring him prosperity? Could it bring him um, wealth within, and it could bring him influence within these kingdoms? And he wanted to use God that way. So we see him answer to his donkey. He says, you've made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. He says, but I am the same donkey that you've ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shielded away. Otherwise, I would have certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize that you were standing in the road and blocking my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. Again, we get to a part where it seems a little bit troubling. Why is he blocking his way and why is he doing this? Where we get to this, it's hard to see the nature of God, and yet when we look at relationships in our own lives, we can kind of get a glimpse as to where God was thinking. He's tried to block, and just like my daughter who is edging towards ice, you know, I, I keep giving her more so, like, chances. Hey, don't step there. You're going to fall. And even when she gets near the ice, I take a step a little bit closer, right? So if I need to <laughs> bolt and grab her, I can. I'm there trying to protect her. I'm saying, hey, please don't do this. But then once she got up onto the ice, what was the opportunity for me? I could stand there and just let her fall or do things, but no, right now, I have an opportunity to teach her how to walk on ice. She's going to have to. There's going to be icy things forever, right? She's going to have to deal with that if she stays living here. So in that moment, I turn and say, right, if, if you're determined to walk on this ice, then here's how we do it. We take little steps. And you don't try to run. And so that's, that's how I shift, you know. And then it happens where it becomes a teaching moment. And that's where God is doing here with Balaam. He's shifting. He's not changing. He's not waffling again. He's shifting. And he says, fine, Balaam, you have ignored me three times. <laughs> you are definitely persistent in doing this. And this is the desire of your heart. This is not the, my best will for you, but this is the desire clearly of your heart. So if you're going to go, we're going to use this as a teaching moment. I'm not only going to teach you, but I'm going to teach your entire nation. And so Balaam goes ahead, um, and it says, Balaam confessed to the Lord. He knows that he's sinned, but he keeps going. Um, when Balak heard that Balaam was on the way, he went to meet him at the Moabite town in the Arnon River at the farthest border of his land. Didn't I send you an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away, Balak asked Balaam. Didn't you believe me when I said that I would reward you richly? And Balaam replied, Look, now I've come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts into my mouth. Then Balaam accompanied Balak, I'm going to butcher this, um, Kiriath Huzoth, 
um, where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamath Baal, um, which was a site where they worshipped the god Baal, or Baal. Um, and uh, so they would go up to a foreign um, place where there's a foreign altar, a pagan altar, and uh, they sacrifice to God, asking him to curse Israel. Now, we see here they do this three times because every time that they try to do this, God responds back with Balaam, 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 I told you, I'm never going to curse them. Not only am I going to not curse them, I'm going to bless them. And he gives a blessing. So three times, Balaam goes into kind of this trance. He, he offers up the sacrifice, and then he stands and he goes into a meditation to hear from God. And three times, God says, why are you doing this? I'm not going to curse them. I'm going to bless them. They are my chosen people. And we see just in the fact that Balaam, see, Balaam could have easily, when he got to the king, he knew what the answer was. And he could have easily turned to the king and said, hey, listen, God already talked to me. He said he's not going to curse these people. He's going to bless them. So maybe we should go talk to them, or maybe we should like, try to make peace with them, because Yahweh's against them, or against us, if we are against them. And so we see this really interesting thing happen with Balaam, where he apologizes, he, commits, he says, I've committed a sin, and yet, very shortly after, he goes up to these three separate pagan ritual worship places, offers up sacrifices, asking God to curse Israel. And so it's amazing how persistent and how patient God is in this moment. Not only with Balaam, but with Balak. We get this glimpse of God interacting with people who have their hearts hardened or their hearts are not in a place where they're wanting to accept God. And we see God over and over and over again pursuing them. And that gets us to our key point this morning. The key point is that God is patient with his entire creation. We have to remember this. It's really, really, really important for us to remember that everyone and everything was created by God. And that God is interacting in a personal, real way outside of our scope of view and knowledge. So the Israelites had no idea, and they probably, I, again, this is my opinion, my guess is that if there were some of them in that camp that heard that Balaam was talking to God, they probably wouldn't have believed it. They would have said, no, not that guy, right? We've heard about him. Yeah, he, he deals with the devil. He worships Baal. God's not talking to him. But here's the really, really cool part, is that not only does God talk to him, but in a moment we're going to read something. God gives him one of the most profound prophecies in the Old Testament. After he, curse, after he tries to curse God three times, on the fourth, God says, no, no, no. I'm going to show you my entire plan. And Baal, uh, Balaam is blown away. We have to remember, especially in times like right now, so heartbroken by what we see on the news. It seems like year after year, just not going to stop. And Sarah, Sarah Lee was talking this morning, just like, I don't know about you, I feel somewhat broken. It's pounded down over and over again. 
And it's easy in those moments when you're kind of, your back's against the wall or you feel like maybe you're in a corner to kind of lash out and look at other people and you want to find a reason for what is going on. It's easy to blame, you know, certain people. It's easy to pick people. And, and certainly decisions have consequences. So there are consequences to people's decisions. I don't want to pacify any of their uh, <laughs> things that have happened. But at the same time, we can't look at people as the enemy. We have to look at the spirits of this world that work against Christ and work against God as the enemy. And we have to remember that God is active in all of his creation, through nature, through people, even those people who don't follow him. He's pursuing them. Our second point today is that God is slow to anger. This is something that we know, but it's something that we have to reiterate over and over and over again. If you're like me, I am very hard on myself. Whenever I, when something happens where I mess up or I fail, a lot of times in my mind, my relationship with Christ is broken down. This is a little bit like that, uh, that kind of hot and sweet, right, that I was talking about. I get so convicted whenever I read through the Bible and I see how often I know I've disappointed God, how far I've fallen from this perfect walk in relation with him, how often I'm trailing behind him or he's walking along and he says, I, my perfect plan for you is over here, but you're insistent on going that way. I'm here with you, but I'd rather you be over here. How many times I've done that over and over again, my fear of doing that throughout life, and yet... The sweet part of it is that he is there. He doesn't give up. He gives constant messages over and over again. He's trying to speak to these nations. He didn't come in. And a lot of times we look at the Old Testament and we say, look how cruel God is. A God of wrath and a God of destruction going in and destroying this. How many times do we not see the Balaams on the other side? I have to think that God was active and working in the nations that Israel conquered, and yet those nations just refused to listen. Look at Egypt when they were taken out. There was so much influence upon the Egyptian rulers from God. They just didn't want to listen to it. See, God's not a God of wrath. He's a God who is actively pursuing his entire creation, trying to reconcile it back to who he is. He's a God who is slow to anger, that takes generations to destruction. He's a God who's constantly, even in, in being like, Balaam's basically spitting in God's face in this moment. Think about that. God has said, like, I just, I get so frustrated, like, with my kids whenever I say, don't do that. And then they just do it, like, in that moment whenever I'm like, don't walk on the ice, and she just is, like, looking right me in the eye and just steps, and then just, like, slowly steps. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, like I'm gonna, <laughs> I can't hit a kid, but you know. <laughs> how much more can God be like that? I just think about my own life. How much where I'm just like, thanks God, but no thanks, I got this. Balaam's like, hey, I know you said that you're not gonna curse him, but I'm gonna try and force you to. I'm gonna give a sacrifice, and maybe that'll make you curse him. Man, we have to be comforted. It should be comforting. It should be reassuring to you that not only when you slip up or when you're, you're trying to figure out the way of God, that he's there pursuing, slow to anger, wanting to reconcile with you. 
The second point today is that the position of our hearts matters in our obedience. See, Balaam's outcome is not a good one. You keep reading, he, uh, he gives one final prophecy that we're going to read in a moment, and then he says, hey, after that prophecy, I'm done, I'm going home. And he goes home, but later on, that camp of Israelites who is waiting outside of those cities, Balaam has an idea. He thinks to himself, you know what, God's not going to curse these people, so maybe we can just get these people to like us. Maybe we can get them to be part of us. So Balaam goes back to the king, Balak, later on, and he says, uh, maybe we can just like get them to join us rather than attack them or curse them. God's clearly on their side, so maybe we just do that. And so they start, it says that in the Bible that Balaam and Balak seduced the Israelites into Moab and Midianite. What he did is they sent out, they had um, uh, cults in those nations that worshipped Baal, and those cults were sexual cults, uh, where they had, uh, they had cultic prostitution. And so what they did, Balaam included, they sent out these women out into the, uh, into the camps of the Israelites, and they said, go do your thing. And what happened is the Israelites started to partake in this cultic, ritualistic, sexual immorality. And very slowly, they started worshiping Baal. And eventually, a plague gets sent through, destroying a big portion of their, their nation because they have left God's protection. And eventually, God says, you know what? Because of all this, I need you to go in and destroy Moab. I gave them a choice, and I gave them a chance. And they've tried and tried and tried again to go against my will. And in that battle, where they've gone in, they marched in and were destroyed, Balaam is killed and he is counted wicked among them. See, here's the thing is that God is slow to anger. And this is the, the spicy part. But his anger has a limit. And most of the time, it's limitation on our lives. We have a limit. We have only so long. We don't know when the next day will be. And so sometimes I think... I've been there in my own life where it's like, okay, well, I can do this today and tomorrow I'll ask forgiveness or I'll never do it again or, eh, you know what, if I try this or if I say this or I think this, God will forgive me or it'll be okay. Or it's that thinking that is either a direct disobedience or an ignorance of who God is. And it's the heart that matters. See, in the moment, we see that back and forth with Balaam and God, and, and he says, okay, well, if you don't want me to go, you know, I thought you said go. <laughs> and he's like, no, I told you not to go first. Then you disobeyed me. And then I tried stopping you again, and then you disobeyed me again. And he's like, so fine, if you want to go, go. And Balaam's like, okay, if you say so. <laughs> that can't be our relationship with God. God is beyond us. He's beyond our understanding. He's beyond this reality. He can see into our hearts. He can see our thoughts. He can see our desires. That can be good and bad. Because there's times when I've been in this broken state where I've been crying out to God and I've said, I've messed up or I've done these things. And I, I just long for you, please. And in those moments, I find comfort knowing God knows the true, true desires of my heart, which is for him, even in the midst of my mess-ups but the reverse can be said that even in the midst of obedience, God knows that true, true desire of your heart. Are you doing it to trick God? 
to try and get into his favor, to try and force him to try and bless you? Do you think that coming here will do um, something like that in your life? You, you've heard Pastor Brandon say over and over again that it gets harder when you accept and follow Christ. Not necessarily easy, but the joy that comes with it. We see that reiterated, is that the joy, and that's where I want to close today, is in this last moment. We see Balaam deliver his final message. So this is after he has tried to curse Israel three times and God has blessed and God gives him one more final message. It says this, This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor, the message of the man whose eyes see clearly, the message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge of the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Do you know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. One of the first times that anyone in the Bible talks about Jesus, and it's this disobedient pagan sorcerer. He can't comprehend, he can't understand, but it says the scepter will emerge from Israel and it says it will crush the heads of Moab's people. I'm sure that the kings in them didn't like this either. Cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be taken over and Seir will, its enemy will be conquered while Israel marches on in triumph. A ruler will rise in Jacob who will destroy the survivors of Ur. Then Balaam looked over toward the people of Amalek and delivered this message. Amalek was the greatest of nations, but his destiny is destruction. He looked over toward the Kenites and delivered this message. Your home is secure. Your nest is set in the rocks, but the Kenites will be destroyed when Assyria takes you captive. Balaam concluded his message by saying, Alas, who can survive unless God has willed it? Ships will come from the coast of Cyprus. They will oppress Assyria and afflict Eber, but they too will be utterly destroyed. Then Balaam left and returned home, and Balak also went on his way. The final point here is God can use them? Question mark. God can use me? God can use us? I think, honestly, church, I think we make this too hard. I think we make it harder than it needs to be. Balaam was making it harder than it needs to be. Think about this. This story could have been like a sentence long. He says, yeah, yeah, let me see what God wants to do. I'm going to go to sleep tonight. God says, hey, I'm not going to curse these guys. Don't go with them. Balaam wakes up the next morning. Hey, guys, God's going to curse you guys. He's going to bless the Israelites. I'm not going to go with you. End of story. (laughs) And Balaam then would have had the opportunity to serve the one true God would have had the opportunity, I am sure, to join the Israelites. Would have had the opportunity to be, we see this not only in this story, but we see this throughout multiple stories where there were people who left their nation when they realized who God was and were invited into the nation of Israel. Paul talks about this later on in the New Testament. It's very amazing. He says that God's kingdom is like a tree where there is a gardener who is patiently patiently grafting branches on. I don't know if you've ever seen this process, but it's very, very, very cool. 
You can uh, like watch it on YouTube. They, they take the branch and they take a really sharp knife and they slice it down. And then they take a, a small branch and they carve it down so it's like a flat, it almost looks like a reed from an instrument. And then they shove that into the cut that they made into the other branch and then they wrap it up so that it eventually fuses and grows together. So you can have branches from other trees fused and grown into this other branch. And that's what Paul says God is doing. He's taking people and he's grafting it into the tree and he's willing to do that with any person who wants to come. He can use any branch, anything. He even picks up dead branches from the ground and he carves them and he puts them in and they come back alive. God can use anything and he's patient. He's a patient gardener and yet, again, that, that spiciness, it also says that he's trimming the dead branches off of the tree, the ones that aren't producing fruit See, the, the thing that we need to remember when we're looking at the patience of God, when we're looking at this story, is that in the end, what God wants from us is a relationship. He's not looking for some secret magic spell. He's not looking for some secret thing. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be influenced beyond what his will is. All he asks of us is, come be with me, and I will direct your path. And here's the thing. Just like Balaam spoke these words, truth is truth. When God speaks these words, they can come from other sources. As you know, I, I like to watch movies, and so I watch a lot of these different movies, and a lot of times I see movies, and the theme of the movie, Running Deep, is that the people feel alone or lost. There's something missing, and, and sometimes those movies are hard to watch because I'm sitting there just saying, Whoever wrote this movie, they feel this. They feel a sense of loss. They're looking, looking, and yet I know what it is. It's, it's Christ. But yet that person didn't know, but they spoke truth. I needed to be able to recognize that it was the words of God. And I also need to be humble enough to know that that person is able to do that, even though that person may live a life that looks very different than mine. And that's what I want to encourage us today. Stepping forth where are you? What does your relationship look like? Are you trying to play games with God? Are you completely shutting God out? He wants to be in your life. He wants to interact with you. He wants to use you. And, and also, are you very quick to say that those people or these people cannot be used by God or heard by God? We are a people. I'll close with this. It's, a, it's an illustration I was thinking when I was going through this passage. Um, whenever I graduated from college, my dad got me a tool set. Like, he got me a bunch of different tools. And one of them was a craftsman hammer. Uh, it's just a simple, plain hammer. It uh, had a wooden handle. I like it a lot. And uh, I've had it for the past 11, 12 years now. And that hammer has gone with me on multiple mission trips. It's gone down to Pittsburgh. It's gone to Atlanta. Um, I had to redo and remodel my house, so it's, it's been a part of that process. I worked on the house that I lived in before. It's been a part of that process. That hammer has made and done amazing things in the hands that it's been in. But that hammer is a hammer, and if I had that hammer right now and I just chucked it into the crowd, you guys would all duck, and that hammer would become something of destruction and violence. See, the truth of it is, is that we are tools, and, and the nice thing about it is that that, that hammer has no agency in and among itself, right? So that, that hammer doesn't choose who's holding it. 
But that's all it is. That's, that's what the truth of our, of our world is, is that we are all hammers, and we get to choose who the wielder of us is. Balaam could choose to be a tool for building and creating and reconciliation, and yet he was adamant, sacrificing three times about being a tool for destruction, to bring about cursing. It's all in who we allow to be our master, who we allow to wield us and allow. And sometimes we want to be it on our own. And, and I even thought in that in my head, I was like, how ridiculous is that? The hammer is like, I don't need anybody. <laughs> and it's just like sitting there on the steps. It's like, I got this. <laughs> the house is going to get built. And it's like, okay, man. Like, we have to realize who we are in Christ. And I think, again, this story is a powerful one, one that I was excited to revisit. I hope that it brings a little bit of that comfort and a little bit of that conviction to you this morning. Would you close with me in prayer? Dear God, we just come before you this morning and we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your patience and your perseverance. We thank you for constantly coming after us. God, we thank you for not being a God who is selective in his grace. God, we thank you for reaching out to those who maybe we personally wouldn't reach out to. Being present in places that we have already condemned. And God, we just pray this evening, or this morning, that uh, we can come before you, humbling ourselves and say, God, we want a relationship with you. No matter where that takes us, no matter what it calls us to do, even if it goes against the desires of our heart, we'll humble ourselves and come before you as a God of the universe. God, we just thank you so much. We lift up your name and we praise you. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.